Hello, and welcome to the week six episode of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows. This week, I'm joined by your favourite co-host, Marcus Henson. And also, later in the show, we are joined by our special guest from NFLfemale.com. So, Marcus, how have you been, sir? Good, thank you. Very good. Excellent. And what have you been up to since you've last been on the show? Um, not much as far as the football is concerned, you know. Okay. Uh, what about uh, study-wise? Study-wise, not much as far as the study world concerned. <laughs> wow, I can see where this is going. So, with that in mind, we will move swiftly on. Oh, y'all want the play? Okay, here we go. We've got gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, key left. Mercedes, wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick go. As with every week, there is so much to cover, so let's get cracking, shall we, Marcus? Yep, let's go. The first matchup I want to talk about this week is the Denver versus Jacksonville game. What are your thoughts on the game, Marcus? It was one of those ones where everyone put them out. Um, Vegas had um, laid out the the biggest stretch in an NFL game, which was a four-touchdown stretch. So that meant Jacksonville's effectively started with a four-touchdown cushion. That's how big a gap. So, I mean, 28 points to try and to come up, come up with. It was it was kind of crazy how quickly people sort of knocked them out. People who were specialising in fantasy were saying, just field an entire Broncos team this week and you'll, you'll win your fantasy leagues. So it was it was really almost unfair on how how much they'd taken into this sort of down on Team Jaguar. Yeah, I think it wasn't necessarily just that, was it? I know obviously Jacksonville haven't been playing well lately, but I think a lot of people, myself included, thought any team that can put up fifty one points on what is not exactly a bad Dallas defense, you know, you you think they're gonna absolutely destroy the Jaguars. And I think I I had my at 80% this week for Denver over Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, it, you could understand where people were coming from. It, it's not exactly been a great sort of standout. You know, I mean, most of the games have been poor by the Jacksonville. I mean, both sides of the ball. Yeah, very much so. But then, like we say, I mean, before the game, we, we all wrote Jacksonville off. But actually watching the game on red zone, that Jacksonville defence really did well for the first sort of quarter, sort of quarter and a half, really, before... Denver started to get into gear. I mean, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. Uh, Puzlazny? Yeah, Puzlazny, I believe, yeah. If, uh, With the interception return. Yeah, that I was mean, phenomenal. It really shows what they're about. I, I mean, I think we all knew, I mean, they've got the likes of, like, they've picked up Gino Hayes and sort of other characters. They've got half-decent defence. The piece of there, the, the puzzle's just not really set itself, as it were. That's it. And something else that uh, isn't just coincidental, the return of Justin Blackman for them, I think, has been um, quite wow. instrumental. Yeah, And uh, wow. I think, to be honest, I was having a look at players for our fantasy team earlier, and unfortunately it turns out that the uh, the big dog <laughs> has uh, already snapped him up. So, And he had him on the bench this week as well. Can you believe it? You when can't afford... A... Sorry, he mate. Never got the cr- he never got the crucial TV, though, did he? He didn't, no, unfortunately, but... 190 it, yards ain't bad. No, exactly, it's better than a kick in time, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> He's just amazing, I mean, what I have to say is, um, with the two quarterbacks there, the same sort of thing happened last year, didn't it, that when Chad Henney came in for Gabbert, 
Blackman's mm. yardage went through the roof. Yeah, it seems to be... Well, they've got Henny, who's the, the clear passer, and then Gabbett, they can't really decide what they want to do with him with this. Is he going to be an option back or not, or do they try and turn him into like a, a Henny who's a more pocket passer? Yeah, thinking of pocket passers, we can't talk about this game without talking about the great Peyton Manning. I mean... I was looking at his records earlier. I was a little bit disappointed to find out that he's actually only gone 29 consecutive games with a touchdown. So we've got a little while left yet before we start talking about him breaking Drew Brees' records. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what I was hoping to actually talk about, if I'm honest. But still, the way he's playing this season, I mentioned last week on the show, if he kept up his numbers after the Dallas game, he was on course for just under 6,000 yards and over 60 touchdowns. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he controlled the game. I think that's that's the real thing about it, is that Manning gave the consistency to control the game. I mean, though, you know, he didn't light up the scoreboard as much with yards and touchdowns. I think he had two. There was a lot of more where he got them into positions where they could they could rumble and bumble it in with uh, Reno. He had a really good game. Yeah, absolutely did. And I think that's the thing you get with Manning, isn't it? It's, Whilst nine times out of ten you're sure the audible at the line of scrimmage he's going to call is going to be his own number, but it just goes to show you that he is a great game manager and, and he can call the run when he needs to, and and no, Sean had a, a great game. But back to your original question about what I thought of it, I mean, 14-12 at half-time I think says it all, really. 14-12, I mean, if you said at half-time Jacksonville would be a score away, I mean that was that was just crazy, especially when you saw what the Broncos put up the week before with Dallas and that whole shootout. Um, you honestly thought that this was this was just going to be a ridiculous college sort of score. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like I said, I knew it was close for sort of the first quarter, quarter and a half, fourteen twelve at half time. That's yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? With the difference between the two sides' performance this year, that's pretty amazing. But let's um, let's move on. Uh, what other games? caught your eye this week one that really caught my eye was the KC Oakland game because I wanted to see how how much for real I thought KC were and you know I was watching it through and you know what though uh, Kansas City this week they did actually again they really struggled for the first sort of two two and a half quarters didn't they against Oakland yeah I mean Smith is there I mean he's not really lighting up the the scoreboard really I mean we had at one point midway through the second quarter he was throwing at uh Get this, thirty percent. Really, that bad? Thirty, thirty percent. Absolutely. It was. But what they managed to do is they made sustained drives just by um, they were using the ground game mainly with Charles. But um, it was the defense. It was the fact that they managed to make Pryor commit all the. I think Pryor had about two or three interceptions, and he was just they 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 managed to because effectively Pryor really isn't much better than a, a rookie because he has mainly just sat on benches really for. For his sort of first couple of years in the NFL. Yeah, didn't Kansas rack up ten sacks on Terrell Pryor this week? There was a phenomenal amount of sacks. I'm not sure how how many it is. I mean, the Oakland offensive line just was just falling apart on them, and it was the defense that really stood out. And I sat there and went, "Wait a minute, this this Kansas City Chiefs defense." When you put it with everything else, of course, they had the interception return as well. A lot of interception returns this week. It was the play in the pressure. That was making all these mistakes. That was making Pryor sort of throw throw the ball up when he didn't need to. They were they were getting to people. I mean, I, I liked what they're doing. I mean, when we looked at them last year, they are sort of the real turnaround team this year. Yeah, the Chiefs. You mean, sorry. Yeah, the Chiefs. Sorry, not the Raiders. Uh, the Chiefs are really the turnaround team. Now Smith hasn't exactly lit up 
what he's done, but he's still at the same time. He's not he's not churning the ball over. He's not throwing away stupid interceptions. Though he's not I mean he had about hundred and twenty something yards this week, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But that's all you really want him to do. He had a couple of runs as well. I mean there was one I think he ran for about 10 yards or something because he can use his feet. I mean, most people don't realise that he, he, you know, he has got some athleticism there. I think as well, the other uh, Jamal Charles played really well this week. Whenever there was a big play to be made, he seemed to be making it. And so far this year, he's actually racked up, I think it's seven, over 700 all-purpose yards, uh, so uh, receiving and rushing, uh, and seven touchdowns. And obviously with two at the week, I think he got two at the weekend as well, didn't he? Two, yes, yes, he got two. Um, he, yeah, he is the sort of the pinnacle, the sort of central axis of that that offense. Really, I mean, most things are being run through, whether it's the actual running game or the the passing game. He's he's just as prolific out of the backfield. I mean, screens and using that sort of short yardage game. The one that sort of, I think, in a way, Reed's understood that Smith is not the best under pressure. So he, he's creating all these ways that Smith can then get, sh- you know, short yardage games through, you know, pressured situations or just getting the ball out of his hands, you know, getting the chains moving, you know. You don't have to have the light out sort of Aaron Rodgers 30-yard chucks or the sort of Drew Breeses of the world. Or he doesn't have to be a Cam Newton and be able to run and pass perfectly. Yeah, it's true. There's um, another team I wanted to talk about this week as well was uh, Cleveland. Mm. What did you think of them this week? I am actually really impressed with with what the Cleveland are doing. I mean, you, you're looking at especially defense again. I know typical me talking about defense, but I mean, I like what I mean. Weeding came back this week, and yeah, because obviously that injury that Hoyer got in the game against Buffalo, Weeden's going to be in for a few weeks, I think. Yeah, in my mind, I mean, I, Weeden is, and I know Hoyer's had a good couple of games, but I think Weeden's still going to have to be your number one. When you look at this, he had an all right game, but I think that to be fair, the Lions defense is a very good defense, but they've got stuff around him that could really help. I mean, the run game is a little bit sort of in shambles due to Richardson designed to depart, you know, the trade happening there. Um, but you've got people like Cameron, their tight end. I think he's one of the best tight ends out there. You've got Gordon, who had, I think, he had over a hundred yard game. You've got Little as well, who's a really good receiver. Brought in McGahey, didn't they? As their sort of um, panic purchase, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, but he would do a job for them because he is getting a bit old, so you can't see him in every down, but. You could work in probably 60% of the time if you needed a workhorse, someone just to try and grind and get those yards up the middle. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what you've got to do. You've got to, have to use them as that. Because um, I, actually, I wouldn't have a clue who the other people are actually running at running back for, uh, for Cleveland. Uh, as well. Obanayu, isn't it? I think, is that one of them? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't, uh, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to take the, the what would have been the, the second. Second string guy there. This is his chance. Um, Obadiah, do you say? I believe it's uh, Obadiah. I'm not 100% certain how to pronounce his surname. but We do, we do apologise greatly if you, if you do manage to find your way onto this or someone, you know, a, Cle- a Cleveland fan wants to Twitter him and say, you know, they completely ruined your name. We are sorry. Um, but what we need really is to see him sort of step it up. I think he did get a, a touchdown, though, um, I think he got like a, a, a catched one though this week. I was I was trying to have a look at, at some of that and um 
he's another one, um, like I said before, he's a backfield player, so he'll come out of the backfield and he'll utilise that. I think they've just got to get him more into the run game. So at the moment, is he being a bit used like CJ Spiller was in his early time at Buffalo, where they just tried to get yeah, him on the screens I, and dump yes, off just think, that kind of short pass? But that is what a lot of teams do with their second string running backs. They are the out of the back or they're the outside. They're the guys who get the they penetrate the outside of the defensive line rather than actually trying to they're not your bulk slam guys through the middle sort of your Adrian Petersons who's going to fight for those five yards and make turn it into eight yards will run up the middle no these these are these are the lightning guys around the sides so therefore I think bringing him back into you're going to have someone like McGahey who was always sort of more traditionally head down through the centre you're going to have to bring this guy in you're going to have to I think he's going to be your future really unless you want to look at saying plugging the gap this year and then taking a a draft pick specifically looking at we're going to first round a running back or do you sit there and turn this guy into the starter well yeah, it's a difficult one though because would you let Trent Richardson go just to draft the first rounder the only reason I can think of it is um, DeAnthony Thomas brings something a little bit different to the table than, than Richardson Richardson's a bit bigger bit bulkier you expect him to break more tackles but the Anthony Thomas for example has just got pure raw speed I, I'm not sure what's going on in Cleveland I mean it seems this seems to be more sort of um it, it, sort of the office sort of side of things you know they were talking general managers and that sort of recruiters but as far as it on field to be fair this isn't the Cleveland Browns we were expecting this year they're what three and three this year so far and there's been some really surprise games and I think they're putting in they were leading, I think, at half time. They were they were winning, and they just threw it away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the Lions came back strongly in the second half because I know again, I know I refer a lot to my fantasy team. But if you see me on a Sunday, you'll see that I'll have red zone on the telly, <laughs> and I'm flicking between the Buffalo Bills game cast and my fantasy football app just to try and see how well players are doing. And for the first half of the game, Bush had no numbers at all, and then. Like you say, more into the second half, that's when he started coming to life. But it was it was Stafford, to be fair. Stafford just came back alive. And you know who really stood out for me? I mean, this uh, was it Faurier? Oh, yeah, Jim Faurier, who had... The, not Jim Faurier, so, because I think that's the... Joseph, Joseph Faurier. Yeah, I was thinking of the old school player, but I think, yeah, Faurier had three touchdowns, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's kind of crazy, I mean, for, for a tight end, because I don't think it was for many yards as well. We thought it was 34. 34 yards, but three touchdowns. Yeah, crazy stats. Of which, 23 of those were on his second touchdown. <laughs> wow. So you, you're sitting there going, the other, the, the, those as well, I must admit, were his only catches, were the touchdowns. Three yeah. catches, 34 three yards, three touchdowns. That's not so, bad at all, is it? So um, I, mean, I was going to say, that's, that's your definition of sort of a clutch receiver sort of coming into sort of term there, and then I know we're going to touch base on that later, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah. So, um, with that said, then um, let's move on to the next segment. I'm eating burritos bigger than you. It's time to go eat, baby. Let's eat. You got some hungry dogs over here. Apple, orange, orange. Hot potato. I don't want no crackers. Hungry man. I gotta eat it. Feed him. He hungry. Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We eating all day, bro. We'll brown these guys up and turn them into little bitty eagle meatballs. Now I'm going to move on to talking about some player movements during the week. Uh, also, ha- what our thoughts are as we're just over a third of the way through the season. I want to start off firstly by talking about 
Buffalo Bills signing Matt Flynn this week. What do you think of that, Marcus? Uh... That's all you have to say, to be honest. I don't really think you need any more of an explanation than that. It's dumbfounding, really. It really is dumbfounding. Okay, yeah, let's move swiftly on from that one because I really can't afford to use the language that I want to use (laughs) (laughs) for why we've signed him. So we'll move swiftly on and keep it a family-orientated broadcast. (laughs) Um, Reggie Wayne this week, I don't know if you saw this, Marcus, but in last night's game in, in Monday Night Football... Reggie Wayne became the ninth player in NFL history to record 1,000 catches. You know, I saw this, and he's the third, third, third fastest to do it, or something like that. Third or fourth fastest to get there. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, he has had great quarterbacks to do it, barring that small hiccup when it was uh, Curtis Painter, I think, was thrown to him. Even then, he was sort of number one, really, as as far as a target. So. Yeah, that's it. Do you know what? I was looking at the article, and even though he had. It was Curtis Painter. He still had either 73 or 83 receptions that year. And that's that's not exactly shoddy numbers as far as receptions that's, go. That's not shoddy at all. Yeah, no. so thinking of receivers, two receivers that ended up on the wrong end of bad hits. Not bad as in illegal hits, but just bad hits as far as the body goes. Talking about the game in Baltimore between Baltimore and Green Bay. Randall Cobb. Cobb, yeah. The, did you see him, the way he went down after that hit? Have you seen the hit? I haven't seen the hit, but it got blown up on the social media that he's out for about eight weeks at least. Yeah, exactly that. Um, This is where I'm a bit torn because I'm all for player safety, but by telling defenders they have to start hitting lower, you're going to see more and more knee and ankle injuries rather than head injuries. Now, head injuries are obviously a lot more serious and you do need to get that out of the game. But at the same time, a knee injury is possibly career-ending. Luckily, he's only out for eight weeks, but you just think that when you're either jumping or turning and your knee's going one way, and then next thing you know, you've got a helmet or a shoulder pad going through it, it's it's not going to help. No, no, no. It's one of those ones where even just thinking about it, it just makes you tense up. It really does. I mean, we all saw at the beginning of the year, um, what was it, Keller, wasn't it? Yeah, Dustin Keller, yeah. And, and you, I can't, every time I, I think about him now, I just, I see that sort of hit and the way that knee twisted. I'm like, oh, no, no. It's the problem, isn't it? Is it where they're sitting there, they're going, especially with, like I said this before, where you as, as a corner, especially uh, if you go to tight ends or anyone like that and you, you're you dropping a good sort of 20 to 30 pounds in the weights and then you're hitting, you're told you can't hit up high anyway, so you can't go for the knockout on top. So you're looking for the slice down below. And I honestly think there's there's no real medium we can get to. There's never going to be a chance where it's like, oh, you can only hit the torso or something. It's just one way has got to give to the other. And I think, unfortunately, losing the head hits is the lesser of two evils. Yeah, uh, agreed. As I say, there's definitely still too many head injuries as it is. But you need to get rid of them more than the knees. It's just horrible to see that, as I say, because players are almost being forced to hit that low, that those kind of injuries are only going to increase, I feel. Oh, yeah. No, they will. They'll, you'll start getting them. And it's the problem is, again, with through motion and just, I can't remember the name of the, it's a very long word, but it's a type of force. Centripetal force? Or oh, something centrifugal. Like that. Possibly. It's a very long word. And, uh, or I centrifugal, sound, isn't it? There's, there's, it's one of those two. It's one of those two, where literally the force of an object hitting one way against the force of an object going the other way, two forces 
colliding with each other, the impact is just going to be serious no matter what. I mean, we sound so scientific right now. <laughs> no, I think it's, we sound unscientific because we're sitting there going, uh, it's a big word. So one of us has got a BTEC in sports science. The other one is currently doing a sports coaching course at the moment. Yeah. And between us, we can't describe the force of one thing going against the force of something going the other way. Yep. Brilliant. Okay, I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, unfortunately, as this is, it's not a contact sport. I've said it before, it's a collision sport. And unfortunately, when you have this sort of collisions, there's injuries are always going to occur. And unfortunately, all we've got to do is try our best try and limit the frequency and severity and that's all we can do because they will always be there we can only hope to limit them that's it luckily james jones he's only going to be out for a week maybe two weeks i think looking at it there's even there's talk he may play this sunday but he's questionable so realistically with the way he got here i don't see i don't think this week Uh, i saw that i didn't see the i didn't see the cob one but I, i saw that one i think You've got to give that at least a week. Yeah, the Cobb one, when you do see it, it was just purely the force of a hit on the knee as he landed and the way it was literally he landed, he got hit, and he just kind of went flying over. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we? it was one of those, the the force of the impact. We won't get science because we can't. We um, can't get science <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, We can give you terminology. The, you're, you're, you're playing the Browns this week, so if you're Packers, you can. I honestly think you can. that is an improved secondary there, but I think you've got enough... You've got Finley, you've got, you've got Nelson. I think you're going to have enough weapons there that even without... You've got Lacey's back as well, so you've got the attack through the ground game. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Uh, I think you'll be all right um, to rest Jones for a week. I think you'll, be okay, you'll get by. Yeah, definitely. I don't know who's third on the roster chart who's going to take his place, but I think you'd be all right. I don't think there is a, a third. They'll obviously have to make some moves this week, but... They finished up the game with just two receivers, didn't they? They finished up with um, the young lads, and they also still have Geordie Nelson. Yeah, I mean, Nelson, look to Nelson. I mean, if you've got Nelson in your fantasy, guys, I would drop him because he is going to be double-teamed all day. Yeah, double-team City. And if you, unlike me, can remember the name of their second receiver, maybe you should pick him up. Okay, <laughs> so now we're moving away from the science remembering player namey bit of (laughs) of the show talking (laughs) absolutely yeah so uh, moving away from that and uh, moving on to your thoughts on the Patriots defense now Patriots are winning games they've not got the greatest of receivers do we think it's more down to their defense rather than the greatness of Tom Brady a team performance it's really been put in through that I mean the, the running game, Ridley had one of his best games this week. I, I, he's had a bit of a quiet stint. You know, the emergence of LeGarrette Blunt sort of taking away some of his carries and they still got Farine to work sort of like into the mix. So they're trying to work like a free running back system. Very weird, very un Yeah, just one um, uh, second. I don't think you quite said uh, said one of the names correctly. Did you mean to say Stephen Ridley? <laughs> Yes, yes. Yes, I did. But I don't think as well, I think Bilicek's seen that the fact that his his receiving core is young. I mean, you've had people like uh, Tompkins and is it Bowden or Boyden or the one who keeps dropping? Like 
That could one, be any of them, buddy. Yeah, I mean, the drops this year, I mean, it's just disgraceful. I mean, it's very unpatriot. And I think um, Belichick's looked to, we don't think of the Patriots as this run team, but Belichick's managed to find a way of getting a lot of running into it to sort of compensate the lack of uh, sort of prowess of the um, the wide receivers have put into it. And then, of course, yeah, the defense has made a major step up. I mean, last year, I think what let them down was that they were very young. A lot of positions were filled by rookies or first or second yearers. So, therefore, they've had that extra year, and they've had a year in a Bilicek Patriot system. And I think there's, there's a lot coming together there. Yeah, I think they're certainly doing a, a great job. And I think one person who's almost like an unsung hero is uh, Gerard Mayo. Yeah, he's probably the biggest bet there, really. As in terms, of, I mean, the Patriots' defense—you always think. I mean, a lot of us think back to the the days where, of Brewski and you know, I mean, I think they've still got oh, Willful, haven't you they? You mean like Brewski and Vrabel and yeah, that's it. The, the sort of the dream Vince team. Vince Wilfork and yeah, I mean, they were really. But um, nowadays, I mean, they they picked up um, what's his name, Brandon Spikes, who I think yes. has been a really good addition. And um, Ninkovic, isn't it? I think their linebacker slash defensive end, Rob Ninkovic, isn't it? He's been getting quite a few sacks. Ah, possibly, possibly. Um, for me, I think there's there's been definite improvement. I think this, this, the gelling of the team has really come together. Like you said, there is, it is the, the likes of that middle line. I think the front seven really make the team. But, I mean, there are others. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of their, their, their secondary now. Um, they've got McCourtney. I, um, I thought... I thought they'd get, got rid of McCourtney. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure they still got McCourtney. Okay. T- Tlaib is one. Aki Tlaib. Oh, Tlaib. Wow. His presence on uh, Jimmy Graham. Yeah. The way yeah. they had him on. I mean, this was what really got me. You're playing the Saints and Graham did not catch a pass. No, he didn't, did he? Not at all. He was on him all game. I mean, that was pure. I mean, as far as it was... I mean, as far as I've seen shutdown corners go, he's got everything you want. Really yeah. has, because he literally just, as you say, shut him out of the game. There wasn't a catch. Graham yeah. couldn't do anything. Almost like it's taken him half a year to learn that defense, because he wasn't, after his uh, signing last year, he didn't seem to perform amazingly well, but this year he seems to be stepping up in world, like we say, they, they all are, really. Um, but let us know... Your thoughts on the Patriots defence or anything we cover this week in the blog by sending us an email, ballhawksnest at gmail.com, tweeting us at ballhawksnest or through any of the social media icons at the top of the webpage. Game here and here is RG3, he's going to run for the first down and still on his feet, RG3 is going to outrace everybody. 76 yard touchdown run by RG3. So, with Marcus back on the show, it means the return of what grinds Marcus's gears. So, Marcus, this week, what's been grinding your gears? You know what really grinds my gears? Head coaches who deviate from their methodology. And I'm looking at you, Sean Payton. We all know the Saints as that risky team, the ones who who give absolutely everything. They're 110% for the entire game. They never give up. They never say die. Yet for some reason, they got ahead of the Patriots and they thought now would be a good time to not do what we do. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the foot off the gas and we're just going to coast into this. You give Tom Brady three and a half minutes to make a comeback, the guy is going to make a comeback. I don't care. 
if if Bilicek wants to make all the stupid fourth down calls in the world, you give that man three and a half minutes. He is going to take it from you, and you will you're 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 just leaving a win out of the column straight away. And it's just you're looking at that. I mean, Sean Payton that after everything that happened last year, and he came back, and it was no surprise that the Saints are a better team this year, and everything's coming together. And they just stopped doing what they do. They took the pressure off um, Brady. Now, a lot of people looking, I don't know if you've seen it, but a lot of people, guys out there, have a look and see that last play. There's a lot of it going around social media of the blatant hold on the defensive end that should have been called. Anyway, what I'm really saying is that if you are an aggressive coach, be aggressive. If you are a meticulous sort of, sort of precision coach, the guy who knows how to do everything, like the Bilicek's who sat there and they've got every contingency perfected. They've got their, they've got, he's got all his soldiers drummed up. They know exactly what they do. They'll lie down for him at any day. You be the coach you want to be and you run with it. You hold that and you use that methodology. You punch through and you take on the league as it is. You never stop being who you are. And that is what really grands my ears. Brilliant. Well, on that, you say don't give Brady three minutes, and, and I, I agree, but he still did need two, possibly three attempts to actually win the game. I believe it was two. He had two opportunities to win the game, and he did yes. it on the second chance. So yes, yes, yes. It, <laughs> it nearly did. worked. It nearly worked, but at the same time, no offence to, to, to people like uh, Pierre Thomas and such, but um, I, I don't think... The you know the Saints aren't built to be a running team. They aren't they aren't a smash mouth team. They're uh, look we've got there's like five minutes left. We're not going to try and run out two minutes of the clock and stuff like this. We're, what we're going to do is you sit there. And the Saints have always been. We'll kill you by putting forty points on you a game, and you've got to keep up. That's what they've done all year. That's what they've done. You know that's Sean Payton's methodology is I will beat you because I'm going to put forty points on the scoreboard, and my defense will hold you enough that you will only get 30 points. It's I don't just, care if I give away 30 points because I'm going to be scoring 40. See, that that's true. And I again, I agree this year. But when you go back, a, a lot of people are making comparisons to the Super Bowl year with, with Pierre Thomas. But I think what I haven't heard mentioned is there's a key ingredient that's missing when you're looking at the, the Saints running game this year. Now, they seem to be piggybacking a lot on... Pierre Thomas, but you look at the Super Bowl run and how many backs did they have? They had Chris Ivory, they had Darren Sproles, they had Pierre Thomas, and at any point in the game they could bring on any one of those backs to be a change of pace. Uh, normally, Pierre Thomas, I believe, was the the change of pace back, wasn't he, behind Chris Ivory? So yeah, but you got to think what they got. They got they've got Ingram out. He's injured. Yeah, they've got Sproles. Okay, Sproles is like the the Reggie Bush, right? Yeah, he's the he's the the flash. He's the out the backfield. He's the misdirection. He's that sort of guy. Pierre Thomas is now being the down and out. He's the running back, as it were, the traditional. He's the running back through the center and such. You know, yeah, that's you're missing I mean. that. You're missing the element that is literally the steamroller, which is is Ingram. Because if it. you think you have you have your every down back, which is Thomas, who's going to get most of the carries. You have your your steamroller, which is Ingram, and you have your flash, which is Sproles. Now, you take the steamroller out of it, and they're, they're losing that, that credit on that last short yardage, that four yards through some middle linebacker, through some defensive lineman. That's what they haven't got, really. Let's um, finish off this, uh, this portion of the show with something on a, a more lighter note, and we're going to go into our terminology explanations now. 
We have a couple for you this week. We're going to slide more towards position terminology rather than the rules we've covered recently. So, Marcus, maybe you could explain to our listeners the term clutch receiver. Okay, so I mentioned earlier how Puria was a clutch receiver. Now, clutch receiver is someone who is making pivotal catches in a condensed space. We tend to say this about the guys who come across the field a lot, the sort of tight ends or the slot receivers, the guys who stand just off the offensive line. They have to go through a lot of traffic, a lot of guys in the center of the field. And what they too tend to do is they tend to get up and they, they make the catches when it counts, as it were, in the heavy traffic, arms in front of them, defenders hanging on to them. And these are the sort of guys who, who you look to have as an addition to your team, as you tend to have a speedy receiver who will outrun defenders. You tend to have a big receiver who will push defenders aside. Then you'll have your clutch receiver, who is the guy who's going to make that catch. Now, they don't always make the, the, the big headline catches, the big, magnificent 80-yard touchdown catches. But what they do is when you need a third and five and a run's too dangerous and you go for that short yardage catch right in the center of the field, they, they manage to get in, find that one yard of open space, which allows you to get the ball, get that first down and keep your game, keep your drive carrying on. And I'm sure you'd agree with me in that the prime example of a clutch receiver would be Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of the guys that you can rely on. You're going to pass it to him, you know. He's covered, doesn't matter. He's coming across the middle. There's middle linebackers. There's transverse of zones and man, which again, we'll go into them at another point. But he's got, he's going through all this defense. He's got people on him. He'll often have people specifically designed to watch him, like defenders who just follow him all around the field. Yet, even when they're jumping through, jumping in front of his catch or grabbing hold of him, interfering the catch, he'll still come down and make that play. Absolutely. So, just to kind of sum up everything we've just talked about there for you. So what we're saying, the definition of a clutch receiver is someone who you can rely on to always make the catch in a key situation. They just don't drop the ball when the game's on the line. Let's move on to the second piece of terminology and we're going to flip to the defensive side of the ball because we never like to miss out the defence, do we, between us? No. And maybe you could explain to the listeners what a shutdown corner is. Okay. Shutdown corner, I mentioned earlier again uh, about uh, Aqib Tlaib, uh, how he was a shutdown corner. And this is someone who kind of does like the reverse. He's kind of the reverse of the clutch. He's the guy who who never lets the opposition catch the ball. Basically, he'll, he'll be playing mainly one-on-one. He'll be, like I said earlier, about the guy who has to follow one person around. You're told for the game, that's your guy. You follow him around, kind of like in in English football, where literally that's your man. You mark him for the entire game. That's that's your priority. So you'll find him on the on the field. You tend to come up nice and close to him on the line of scrimmage to make sure that he can't get a nice cheeky close catch in. And all you're going to do is you're going to play off him. Every time he gets up, you're going to go up. You're going to grab hold of his arms. You're going to disrupt his catch as much as you can legally, of course. Um, a lot of time they will bump people. What I mean by that is. As he's coming off the line of scrimmage, you're allowed to have just one kind of bump in the first five yards. You're given a nice good shove to try and disrupt his timing, try and really make it as hard as possible for him to make the catch. And really good shutdown corners tend to get uh, little nicknames added to them. A lot of them get the island title. So 
Uh, another good example is someone called um, Darrell Rivas. Yep. He was so good at his job that uh, offences would actually try and throw to the other side of the field where he was. So what would happen would be the receiver who was paired up against him, because he would have games where they get one or no catches or very little catches, people used to say it's almost like you being on Rivas Island where you, you, you do nothing in the game except see this guy. Yeah, and I tell you what, Rivas is a great shutdown corner, as, as we're saying, but do you know one receiver that always used to literally run rings around Rivas Island? No, Stevie Johnson. Stevie <laughs> Johnson always had good games against Rivas. It's in the stats. You can't, you can't doubt it. <laughs> Have to bring in the bill there, Stevie, and uh, hopefully he'll recover from his injury soon. But So, yeah, as we're saying, a shutdown corner, someone who doesn't allow the opposition receivers to make the big plays in particular, but also any catch all over the field. So brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Marcus. That's all right. What's up, big boy? Oh, 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 let's do it. Nice job. Way to get us over there, babe. Hey, uh, old school game. This is our game, right? This is our kind of game. Now we move on to our awards part of the show and also our so let's start off with our offensive impact otherwise known as the award and marcus who's your runner-up this week silver medal this week is going to go to jamal charles kansas city chiefs brilliant and the reason for that well, he had one of those games which really sort of summed up what he means to the team. He had 78 yards, he had two touchdowns on the ground. He also had 50 in the air, which goes to show you, you know, how important he is to, to Alex Smith and the sort of the pass game, the quick passes, the screens, getting it out of his hands, allowing the chains to progress. And I think really, it, when you look at how he dominated the Raider line, I mean, on his first touchdown, he broke three tackles before hitting the end zone. Now, this was only a seven-yard run. Wow, so three within, tackles in seven yards? He broke three tackles in seven yards. That's it's, phenomenal. It's, it's, it's crazy. Literally, they stacked the line, the Raiders, and yet he still broke He broke the defensive lineman, he broke the middle linebacker, and then ran over the safety Wow! into the end zone. He really is one of those guys who who <laughs> impacts through that. Um, but he's, I'd say, if you took him out of Kansas, I don't think they'd be six and zero. Yeah, that's a that's a bold statement, and uh, I'm not going to disagree with that one. To be honest with you, uh, my runner up this week, I've picked another bulldozer of a running back. I've actually gone with uh, Brandon Jacobs. Now he was on the losing side, but that game wouldn't have been anywhere near as close as it was without the effort that Jake was put in with his 106 yards and his two touchdowns. This is why we talk about an impact player, because they don't necessarily always have to be on the winning side to have a big impact on their team. You're taking 14 points off the board without Brandon Jacobs being in that offensive lineup for the Giants. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Giants going and getting him back again was a big decision. I know they, they had a few... They, they couldn't make their mind up about Wilson, so they had to just shore up their sort of options. But I do think that there's there's a lot of transition going to be going on, and there's there's work to be done in New York. But I mean that is that's a nice solid piece to have back uh, to play with. It really is. You need some kind of running back who who he's familiar with the system. You know he's dependable. He had the issues. You know a little bit of fumbleitis, but that seems to be going around New York a bit rifely at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's now move on then to the winner of your. <laughs> award 
I've given it this week to Vernon Davis, tight end, San Francisco 49ers. Wow, yeah. I um, when I was when I was thinking about this award this week, I had a feeling that we would both come up with the same winner for this award. And uh, as uh, as before, when we last did this with uh, Adrian Peterson, we've both come up with Vernon Davis to win the Megatron Award this week. So, Great minds think alike. Yeah, absolutely. 180 yards, two touchdowns in that win over Arizona. Anytime. Well, just they just kept throwing the ball. I know at half time, if I'm not mistaken, he had 170 yards. And then something happened in the second half. They just didn't bother throwing to him. But um, Scott Hansen in Red, NFL Red Zone was talking about Davis potentially breaking the, uh, the t- tight end record for most yards in the game. This is how you have to look at it. He had only eight catches for those 180 yards. It wasn't like he was like completely spotted every single time. I mean, one of those, his touchdowns was a 61-yarder. Tight ends don't do 61-yard touchdown passes. They just It just doesn't normally happen. No, not unless it's in a game at Candlestick Park against the Saints in the playoffs, right? Yeah. But <laughs> it seems to be that Davis, when he really needs to, because he has these days where he has off days and you never seem to see anything from it. And he just almost, you've seen it. We, we saw, uh, if you're a big fan, try and go back. Um, or if you're new to the game, try and go back and see the, the fight he had with, oh, is it, uh, was it Singletary was the coach's name, was it? Oh, Mike Singletary, um, yeah, the 49ers ex-coach. You look, you look at the fallout that happened. He had one of his games where he threw all his, all his toys out of the pram and Singletary sat him down on the sideline like a naughty little schoolboy and said he's out of the game. This made that week after that game, he came out and he had another one of these sort of games. He's one of these guys who runs on his emotions. He runs on his adrenaline. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he is absolutely arctic. Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> pretty major swing between one or the other, isn't it? So uh, He's one of those brilliant. players. He's going to be great for you. Is he going to be, he's going to be worse. Nice. Well... With that, we move on and we say congratulations to Vernon Davis for winning this week's award. Now we have, I'm sure, both mine and yours' favourite award. Not that we're biased towards defence at all, but the Mr. Award. Who is your runner-up this week? My runner-up, I've given it to... Again, it's going to seem weird. It's almost like um, I'm secretly rooting for them, but... Tamba Hali, Kansas City Chiefs. Ah, right, okay, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Reason I went for him, he had three tackles, he had three and a half sacks. Anyone who's um, a big follower of the NFL, or if you're new to it, sacks don't just happen every single down. I mean, you're normally getting about two, three maybe in a game. Sorry, Marcus, just quickly, um, we're going to yeah. add maths to the list of things we can't do this week because it's not possible to have three tackles and three and a half sacks. Well, you know, it's three total. You know how they add up these three individual lists. tackles and one three assisted individual. tackle. There you go, making okay. up the half a sack. Just to clarify that. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, what it is, I, I, I don't do all this adding assist tackles. I, if I give you a tackle count, you, that's your ca- your tackles. Um, but three and a half sacks, I will give you half a sack because, like I said, if if you're new uh, to NFL, um, they, they're just they don't just happen every single down. You got three or four games, so the fact that he's nearly got four himself, that's incredible. He's really pushing it hard. He's making an impact because he's got Pryor so confused, so watching his back 
that he's making all these mistakes. He's helping the, the other guys, the secondary of the defense, because what he's doing is the pressure is causing the, the models in his mind. He's, he's throwing to the bad balls, the interceptions. And I really do think, I mean, I saw some of the, the highlights of uh, some of the sacks, and I really think some of the pressure he's on, they started shifting double teams towards him on the offensive line. He's still getting through. So well, as far as an impact goes, he really did make that Raiders offensive line work hard so much on Sunday. Now, if, if he didn't win it for you, I'm curious to know, before I give mine, who, who did win your Mr. This week. I've been a little bit biased this week being a Rams fan and my winner of the Mr. Ray Lewis has gone to Alec Ogletree, linebacker, St. Louis Rams. Yeah, okay, when you said you were going to be biased, I knew there could only be one player this would be this week. I mean, come on, seven ta- individual tackles. Do uh, individual? Yes, exactly. A forced fumble, an interception which was returned 98 yards. It's a 100-yard pitch. You've got a middle linebacker running pretty much an entire pitch for a touchdown. I mean, the guy literally, since he's come in, we took a risk on him. He had a little bit of a, a blotted resume coming out of college. You know what? Fisher loves those sort of guys. He molds those guys. He turns them into men. This guy is literally maturing on the field. And the St. Louis Rams, you've got him and Laurinaitis. Literally, that, that middle linebacking core is looking phenomenal for St. Louis right now. And I think he is pivotal He's a hinge that we can't afford to get injured or, or, you know, or lose to. So I think really the impact he makes is that the last couple of weeks he has stepped up the game. He's becoming a man on that field, maturing. And that is really an impact I love to see in this, in this game is that men maturing into this game. Absolutely. And this week for my runner-up, I've gone with an old faithful, but purely because the guy's an absolute animal at the moment. And I'm, I'm sure we may come on to him a bit later as well. But um, Kiko Alonso, oh. Buffalo Bills. I'm really sorry, guys, but uh, and girls, sorry. I have to keep mentioning this guy because when you're you making to. 22 total tackles um, and rocking up 31 points for my fantasy team, <laughs> a, you're going to be in my good books, and B, you can't you can't not put him as a, an impact player, can you? Because he's involved in literally everything that Bills defense does. So I can't not have him as an impact player. The guy so. has added a complete new dynamic to your Bills team. It is absolutely phenomenal to see how that defense is stepping up, and the players around him as well. He's feeding off their energy, and they are feeding off his. That is a hungry defense at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, unlucky not to come away with that win. Really unlucky not to come away with that win. Yeah, very much so. Um, my winner this week is actually your runner-up. So my Mister Award this week is I've actually given it to Tamba Harley for his not one, not two, not three, and not quite four, but three and a half sacks. <laughs> I've <laughs> given it to Tamba Harley because. That Kansas defense, again, the pressure he just gets on the quarterback and the way he was after prior all game long. I'm sure if you look it up, you'll find that they did get 10 sacks against the Raiders defense this week. We could have given it to anyone on that Chiefs defense or even the Chiefs defense as a total because they're playing. We, we, we have done it in the past, haven't we? Yeah. We've, we've given it to team past. defenses before or teams before. Uh, sometimes we've given it to team offenses for defensive impact player. But <laughs> <laughs> in general... The Chiefs are just having a defense having a great season. So, congratulations to Tamba Harley and Alec Ogletree for being this week's Mister Award winners.
Okay, so we're going to finish up this section with the... So I'm going to fire mine straight out there so we can bash through this quickly. I've gone for Kansas City over Houston, 65%. Only 65? Yeah, because whilst the Texans aren't playing amazing football at the moment, I still think... There's, there's a performance in them and the way the Chiefs stuttered and started against the Raiders, if you try to do that on Texans, they will find a way to hurt you. If, if they let Arian Foster go loose, then they could be in some real trouble. I, yeah, I, I can see that, actually, to be fair. Yeah, that's a good valid point. Um, how about yourself? Who Who's your... Well, my swing of the week is I wanted to do something a little bit controversial, something that might split opinions, but how about this for my... Which is... Okay, Giants over the Vikings to get off the winless track, 70-30. Wow, that's a big swing as well. You're talking about 10, 14 points then. I am literally, I'm too, I, was, I was thinking more 10, but I, I could go anywhere, yeah, 10 to, to 13. I think maybe more field goals this game. I honestly think this game is going to be a, a contest of really, it's going to look towards the ground games this week. And I liked the sort of matchups that were coming into it. Um, when I broke it down, I figured that the one thing that's going to, then play off that. So, we've got two even ground games. What we're going to do after that, you go to the air game. What is the air game saying? I'm going to say it's going to have to go to the Giants in favour of that one. Defensively, we turn that around. Vikings have got that one slightly into their advantage. But I'm going to just put it on the fact that um, Giants over the last, I think they're, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be invigorated to try and come up with a win. Vikings are only one and four themselves. They've only got that Wembley win under their belts. They're coming off a bye week, so you know you're looking to see what they can do. You know, has that refreshed them, or you know, as it sort of like hindered the steam? You've just won Wembley. You want to push on through that. I think this is Giants' week to to kick off the zero in that uh, win column. Well, that's a bold statement, and uh, we'll see if that one comes true. Takes the snap, back the throw. Here's the one. It's going to be sacked. Now we arrive at the part of the show I've been looking forward to all week, and that is our special guest. With us now on the line, all the way from USA, is the lovely Dana O'Gorman from NFLFemale.com. How are you this evening, Dana? I am great. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, now, Dana, with me also on the line is my regular co-host, Marcus Henson. Marcus, Dana, Dana, Marcus. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you too. Brilliant. The old cyber meet. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for those who do not know Dana, she is a fan writer and podcast host for NFLFemale.com. Dana, would you mind uh, just giving our listeners uh, an insight into the website and your involvement? Sure. NFL Female started about two years ago, and it was the brainchild of Liz, who is um, our founder and editor. She realized that there was a huge hole in the market for female football fans, and we're talking true female fans, women who understood the game, got the X's and O's, and and loved it as much as their male counterparts. And so she started this website and has found 32 fan writers, one for each of the teams, and each week we break down the game, we go over the highs and the lows of everyone's team, and we started a podcast, we have a video cast, and it's it's really, really exploded and, and done wonderful things. Oh, fantastic. So uh, you say that you have a, a fan, obviously, from uh, from each team there mm-hmm. that, that comes onto the podcast. Um, what would be the team that, that you support? I am the Seattle Seahawks fan reporter. I love my Hawks. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I've heard from the show. It's, uh, it's brilliant. And um, thinking of that, actually, I remember hearing you recently. You had a, uh, a trip to Texas, I believe, uh, wearing your Richard Sherman shirt. Maybe you could uh, fill us in on that and how that came about. I did. Well, my co-host of, of my podcast is Claire Mullins, who is uh, the fan reporter for the Houston Texans. And so we decided, since the Seahawks and the Texans were playing this year, that we would make that uh, our trip. And so um, we went together. She lives there in Houston. And, and we went to that game together. And and I have to tell you, for as bad of a reputation right now as the Houston Texans fans have, because they've not gotten much love in the last week, they were fantastic yeah. to me. I had my Richard Sherman jersey on, you know, my full Seahawks um, outfit, and, and they were so nice and so kind. And, and even throughout the entire game, when they were winning and then when the Texans lost, they, they were very, very kind and very supportive to a displaced fan, which I really, really appreciate. That is something we really push at NFL Female is that you can love your team and be a huge fan, but you should be a classy fan. And they definitely were to me that day. Oh, fantastic. So they didn't turn on you when Seattle started to turn things around? Not at all. They started to turn on their own team, but they didn't turn on me, which was a good thing. Yeah, definitely. That's fantastic. It's great to know that even at places like that, that there's still a great family atmosphere. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was wonderful. I know that from uh, my experience, when I actually went to Ralph Wilson Stadium, because I'm a Bills fan myself, oh, um, even just yeah, mingling in with all of the Cleveland fans, um, I actually had the, uh, well, it was one of the most dire games I think I've ever seen. It was uh, <laughs> back in 2009, flew nearly 4,000 miles to watch us lose 6-3 to Cleveland. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would hurt. Yeah, painful, but strangely enough, I came away from the game feeling like a true fan, feeling, feeling like I belonged because I'd been to Buffalo, experienced the crowd and, and sat through a game like that and I know what they go through every week now. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> really in the NFL there's only a few stadiums that have a reputation of not being away fan friendly and, and they have a, a pretty big reputation for that but for the most part, because I, I live in Kansas City, Missouri but I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan and, and there's a long story behind that. I, I grew up, I lived in Seattle so I brought my team with me when we moved but um but being a displaced fan i've been to a lot of other stadiums st louis stadium chicago and a lot of other places and i've rarely run into trouble so that is the great thing about the nfl community is a fan as a fan you know for the most part which is great Oh, excellent. You say you've uh, you've been to the St. Louis Stadium. Now, I think Marcus is going to be a little bit jealous there because he's actually a Rams fan himself, aren't you, Marcus? Absolutely, yes. No, uh, I was very tempted uh, about two years ago when they started giving away sort of uh, tickets for about 10 bucks a piece. And it's like, <laughs> is, does it actually justify the £600 for the flight? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is it probably would because the NFL tickets are usually so expensive, it would actually offset each other. But yeah, that the the St. Louis fan base is an interesting fan base just because they're such a baseball town. I mean, truly, St. Louis is is all about their their um, their Cardinals there, and and so it, the Rams fan base is rabid, but it's not huge. So you're in good company. Good for you. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, if we just come back to the uh, the podcast that you do every Wednesday, how did you come to get involved with that? Well, when I started working for NFL Female, I was actually doing another podcast with a friend and Claire, who's my co-host. We were doing one. It's called Football for Football Heads. And, um, and it was a Texans-based um, podcast, but they wanted a differing opinion. And so they asked me to come on and join them. And so I was doing that. And when 
NFL female, Liz discovered that, you know, podcasts were really a great platform for, you know, everyone to get their opinions out there, especially women, because a lot of times our writing is ignored. And so we did the podcast and it just, it, it, it just took off and, and it's been very popular. And we've been really lucky to have some fantastic guests. We were lucky enough to interview Andre Reed, who is, you know, a candidate for the Hall of Fame, Tom Coughlin, the New York Giants coach. And, and so we were, we have some great guests. And then, of course, our fan writers come on and, and shine with their, their knowledge of football. Yeah, I really enjoy it every week, and it is great to hear from the different fans' perspective. And uh, with the guests that you have on, like last week, obviously, you had uh, Coach Coiner on the show. It was really interesting to hear um, what he had to say, breaking down the game and how it, the, the playbooks, something as simple as that, was stuck in the dark ages, still sort of using big binders that are probably sort of 100 pages long just for special teams and now looking to maybe move it forward into the apps. Right, yeah. We were we were thrilled to get, you know, Coach Coach Coiner. I have a hard time with that one, sorry. Um, we, have, <laughs> we, were, we were thrilled to have Charlie on the show and, and he, you know, he... It's people like that that we find so interesting who are, you know, he was an NFL coach and, and plans to be again. He took these couple years off on purpose to work on his on his um, applications for playbooks. But, you know, it's, it's people like that that we find so intriguing for our podcast because they're not the everyday, you know, person that you would expect. People interview players, and I'm not saying we don't enjoy when we interview players, but we hear that a lot on NFL Network and ESPN and that sort of thing. So finding those little gems are really, you know, one of, the things that I love best about our podcast. Okay, so to put you on the spot, yes. who would you say has been your favorite guest so far on the show? Oh, without question, it's Andre Reid. And that that is the reason that that came about very, very strangely. You know, we we never actually expected to get someone who was up for the Hall of Fame um, to come on our, our small, relatively small podcast. And so we just sent out the request and he, he accepted and was thrilled to come on and talk to us. And, and I actually am also, I have a very soft spot for the Buffalo Bills in my heart. I, I absolutely follow that team and, and they are kind of my second favorite team. And, and so to get him on and to talk to him for 30 minutes was just, it, it was a great moment for me. Well, yeah, I have to say, yeah, very jealous of that. Andre Reid, just an, uh, an absolute legend, obviously, you know, as you're kind of a half Buffalo fan there as well. Just Does that explain, then, your hatred towards Tom Brady? Because I, I obviously share that passion with you, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about the Patriots, first of all, it is my my two siblings, my brother and my sister, all three of us have different teams that we follow. We, uh, we grew up in, in the state of Montana, which has no um, actual, you know, professional teams. And so you kind of get to pick when you're in that situation. And I picked the Seahawks. My sister is a rabid New York Giants fan and my brother is a Patriots fan. And so we, and it, to his credit, he was a fan even when they were horrible, clear back in the day. So I have to give him credit for that. But um, yeah. I actually have a lot of issues with quarterbacks. It's not necessarily just Tom Brady. I think that they get way more credit and way more trouble than they deserve for, you know, how a game goes. But Tom Brady drives me crazy. He just, he drives, I don't know why, but he just drives me crazy. I don't like the way that he pouts on the field. And, and so I have issue with that. But believe it or not, my Buffalo Bills fandom and the reason I like him is for my huge dislike for the San Francisco 49ers that's where it started you I, I'm a, probably quite a bit older than the rest of you guys but when they were when I was back you know in junior high they were playing each other in the Super Bowl constantly it seemed like and I really hate the San Francisco 49ers so therefore I always rooted for the Bills and it kind of stuck 
Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Um, so did you ever buy into braiding? Did you ever find yourself doing uh, braiding just to, when, uh, when like T-bowing obviously took off, there was the mimic of braiding as well. So did you ever find yourself in a random position doing that? I, I didn't, but it was very funny to watch. <laughs> yeah, just seeing the internet blow up with lots of pictures. We had T-bowing, we had braiding, griffining, right. just uh, ended up everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I heard a funny thing actually about uh, Kaepernick. I was chatting to uh, on Twitter last night to one of the uh, Victoria Maidens players, uh, the new LFL in Australia, mm. and uh, she was saying that she doesn't like Kaepernick because his face annoys her. Oh, <laughs> well, well, my dislike usually goes a little deeper than that, but I can see. It. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, brilliant. So um, yeah, back to the uh, the Seahawks. How are you finding their season so far? How do you think it's going? It's mind-boggling to me. You have to understand, the Seattle Seahawks fan base is used to not winning. It's been a long, long time. Uh, you know, clear back to 2005, we went to the Super Bowl, which was great. But that was our really good year. And before that, we were not good. After that, we were not good. So these, this this team and this season is is so overwhelmingly fantastic for Seahawks fans. We, we can't believe the luck, and I hate to use that. It's not a pun, but the luck of getting Russell Wilson in, in the third round of the draft last year. And, and what a difference he's made on our team. And, and all these diamonds in the rough that we got, you know, with Sherman being a fifth-round pick and Cam Chancellor being a fifth-round pick and, and Brandon Browner being from the CFL, you know, all of these players that no one wanted. And Pete Carroll has just molded this team into being this powerhouse. But it fits so perfectly with Seattle of always being an underdog. So uh, we are, I'm so excited and so happy with how well they're doing and, and how much acclaim they're finally getting because they truly do deserve it. Yeah, it's amazing as well. When you think of how much of a big spectacle the draft is um, and how much stock that the teams put into it, that you actually find the best players quite often tend to come from the later rounds. Like Brady himself, much though we right. dislike him, obviously coming from the sixth round to be... I hate to say it as well, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Without question, yes, absolutely. And it's, you know, and if you go through a lot, most of the teams, they're all like that. Rarely do those first round picks become the center of the team. The teams that last for long term, more than one season of, a, you know, splashing for one season, but the long term good teams are the ones who find those great those great players in the later rounds of the draft or undrafted free agents even um and now even from the canadian football league because they're finding so many up there and they put them together and those are the guys that work and they you know have loyalty to their team and they're not always just looking out for the dollar sign and 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 it really is a great way to build a fantastic football team absolutely so do we think that washington falls into one of those categories that maybe put too much stock into a first rounder in rg3 well to be honest with you i don't i Washington's woes that they have right now, I don't put on RG3's head. I still think he's an amazing athlete, and I think he's a fantastic quarterback. Um, I think the problems there lie in their outlying players, that he, RG3 and Alfred Morris truly are doing exactly what they were brought in to do. Those two players are fantastic. You know, they're key players, but the rest of the team around them is not as solid, you know, as they are. And, and that just doesn't make for a winning recipe for a long period of time. Um, the other thing with RG3, I really think they brought him back too quickly after his knee injury. That's a personal opinion. You know, doctors can say whatever you want. But, you know, that the fact that they forced him to come back by that first game and then expected him to play the way he was last year without any preseason, without, you know, any training camp, you know, I think that that's 
some of that blame needs to go back to the head coaches and the general managers for putting all that expectation on him. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see it sometimes when he's going to run, he just doesn't seem to want to put full pressure on that knee anymore, does he? Absolutely. And he doesn't plant his foot when he throws as much either. The beginning of the game, you see it. But then as the game wears on, I think his knee gets tired. Yeah, and that's understandable with the surgery that he had over the summer. Absolutely. You know, ACL used to mean a full year out, no matter what. You were gone for 12 full months. And now players are coming back, you know, eight months, six months, seven months. And I I almost begin to think it's too soon. Absolutely. You only have to look at, well, the uh, exception to the rule would be Adrian Peterson. But I think that's just because he's just a monster athlete, isn't he, with the way he carries himself, the way he trains and and the way he performs on the field. Absolutely. And everyone heals differently. You know, just because Adrian Peterson did it doesn't mean that everyone is going to be able to do that. And RG3, this is the second time he's had this surgery. So it's not even, you know, he's not going to bounce back as you know, as quickly. Chris Clemens, who is a defensive end for the Seahawks, um, had an ACL in the same game that RG3 hurt his leg. And, and they both were had the same injury in the same game. And he came back in the third or fourth game. But he isn't expected to do, you know, he's a defensive end. He's very fast, very powerful. He's one of my favorite players on our team. But a quarterback is asked to do so much you know, that I think that it's just different. And yet Chris still didn't come back for even longer than RG3 did. Wow. Yeah, it's um, injuries like that. They put you out for a long time. Exactly. Moving on, um, what I'd like to get you involved with, if it's okay, on the podcast here, we actually have um, a couple of things we do weekly, um, starting with what we like to call our swing of the week, um, which is where we look ahead to the week seven games and we go for a percentage swing on a team as to how much of the game or scoreline we think they're going to have. Okay. So uh, looking, for, uh, looking forward to week seven, I was wondering if you might want to give us who you think would be your swing of the week, as it were. You mean in a positive way, how they'll get better? Is that? Uh, it's, uh, it's more on a score and say how much you think they would beat their opponent by. So um, if we say um, a 60% or 65% swing, we're normally talking about sort of seven to ten points gotcha. that they would win by. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, if you look at, well, you know, if you look at the biggest, you know, I, I think everyone sadly is looking at the at the Jaguars as, as kind of, a, you know, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars as, as kind of a joke and that people will beat them by huge numbers. And then they turned around and played very well against Denver, which is not expected in any way, shape or form. Um uh, so looking at that Chargers-Jaguars game, and as well as the Chargers played last night, um, I think that, you know, I, no one expected them to beat the Indianapolis Colts last night. That was that was very surprising. So yeah. I, I think that the Chargers will still win that game. But I think by about, you know, a 60% swing, maybe maybe 70. I think they'll win by a, maybe a touchdown or a little more. Um, but I, I think that game is going to be a lot closer than people think it is. Yeah, certainly the Jaguars impressed me this week watching that game against Denver. I'd, I was one of those that had written them off as well. Mm-hmm. And then just seeing how their defense was playing against Manning and the ex-Bill in Puzlesny as well, having a great game. The interesting thing that, that is with the Jacksonville Jaguars is their new head coach is Gus Bradley, and it relates back to the Seattle Seahawks. So I know him because he, um, he was our coordinator last year, and now he's their head coach. The interesting thing with them is they have kind of become the Seahawks junior. A lot of the players that we have released, Gus has turned around and picked up. But he's picked them up over the last few weeks. So as this season goes on, they're going to start to gel more and more simply because they have more playing time together. And I think we're going to see a pretty big improvement over them, from them, over the season. Now, I'm not talking about getting into the playoffs. I'm, I'm thinking maybe four wins, you know, at most. But still, 
as team play goes, they're going to improve quite a bit toward the end of the season. And it's been a big help for them getting Justin Blackman back oh, off suspension yes. as well. Absolutely. It's, that was huge for them. Yeah. Um, that ties in with, we actually do something else as well. We have like an offensive and a defensive impact player of the week, mm-hmm. or as we refer to them, a Megatron and Mr. Ray Lewis <laughs> award winner. <laughs> That's great. It seems appropriate. And uh, we have to call him Mr. Ray Lewis. We had the opportunity to, to actually meet him and listen to him speak for about um, 10, 15 minutes. I think it was about, was it a year ago or two years ago, Marcus? Oh yeah, it's going to be, uh, it'll be, let's see, it was just before the, uh, the Rams Patriots Wembley game, wasn't it? Oh, so it was, yes, it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah, we had the opportunity to uh, to meet him, and I just when I went up to speak to him and get his autograph, I couldn't not call him Mr. Ray Lewis, it was, <laughs> or Mr. Lewis rather. It's like I can't go up to this guy who's an NFL legend, has done so much, and um, it's that iconic. And just to go up to him and say hi, Ray, can I have your autograph? That just that didn't work for me. So <laughs> you have understand. to refer. When you listen to him speak, he almost deserved uh, the mis- You could have called him Sir, really. I mean, the man that yeah, was maybe poised should... was brilliant, present. Do in you the reckon room. we could petition the Queen then to get him called Sir Ray Lewis? Oh, he'd <laughs> love that. Oh, that's right up Ray Lewis's alley. He would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, on that note, so who would you say was your outstanding offensive or, or Megatron Award winner this, this week? Oh, you know, th- there seemed to be. Every week, it's it's really easy to pick Peyton Manning because of the way he plays and the numbers that he puts up. Um, you know, I think that right now, you know, he is kind of the center in the NFL world, the offensive world right now, it, with absolute, you know, reason to be. He, his numbers are crazy. His, he's playing at a level that most 25-year-olds can't play at, and the man is 37 years old. Now, I'm a big fan of veteran players. I think that with the... NFLPA and the new contract and everything that we've put all this, you know, all these teams have gone to focusing on rookies and young players because they're cheaper, but they've forgotten the value of a vet and, and veteran players are key to a team and, and their stability. And I think that Peyton Manning has brought that stability to the Denver Broncos. So I'm going to have to give huge kudos to him for everything that he has done. Fantastic. Um, so how about on the defensive side of the ball or our Mr. Ray Lewis award? Well, it, I'm inclined as I'm a defense lover. I prefer defensive games over offensive games any day. You know, that shootout between the Cowboys and the Broncos that was like an arena football league score. I hate those games. I, yeah. I don't like games yeah. that have no defense. I love defense. It's my favorite part of football. So I, my favorite player in the entire NFL is Richard Sherman, who's the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, because I love his swagger. But he, and he had a fantastic, you know, interception. He, he does it almost every single game, and it changes the momentum of games all the time, and I love him for it. However, there is a rookie, and you will know him well, Kiko Alonso up in Buffalo, that oh, is absolutely. absolutely going crazy this season. He is probably one of the most impressive defensive players out there right now. And I love what he is bringing to Buffalo. They have missed that type of a player. And and I, I think I have to give all kudos to him right now. Yeah, I mean, this week, just phenomenal. Just seeing his stats. I've got him in my fantasy team. So he wrapped up 31 points for me with his, with his 22 tackles. And just seeing how he's involved on basically every play. And we had, obviously, 
uh, a week ago with his uh, double interceptions as well yep. to, to help win win our last game. And um, at the pace he's going, if he doesn't win Defensive Rookie of the Year, I I don't know who will. He he is absolutely crazy right now, and I love watching him play. Oh yeah, so good to hear you say that because normally on the show I kind of get a bit of stick for. Uh, for my Bill love, I just can't help but talk about the Bills all the time. You know what it's like I when do. you have a passion for a team, uh, obviously with the Seahawks. So it's you have to kind of bring bring your reins in a little bit and try and uh, withhold the passion. But at the same time, when you've got a player like Kiko Alonso, who's just setting fire to offenses, then uh, you have to mention him every now and then. Absolutely. He, he deserves it right now. He really does. Fantastic. So um, just to finish off, we're doing a little segment before Christmas on our top 10 favourite football films. Oh. Now, I know it gets, um, there's quite a lot of this done around, um, but what would you say would be your favourite football films? It doesn't necessarily have to be your, your most favourite, because I know it's, it's quite difficult to choose with, with all of them out there, but what would you say you, you would put maybe in a, a top three or a top right. five? Right. Wow. Well, you know, everyone loves Rudy because it's so inspirational and all of those good feelings and stuff like that. But I have to tell you that the movie I love to watch um, about football is The Longest Yard. And it's the original Longest Yard with, with Burt uh, Reynolds. Burt. That is yeah. so funny and so bad and so good all at the same time. I, I love it. So as unclassy as that may sound, not picking, you know, this inspirational, you know, Rudy for a movie, I, I absolutely love the original Longest Yard. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's brilliant. And the, to be honest, the first time I actually heard about Rudy was actually watching the newsroom. Oh, sure. When, they, when Jeff Daniels talks about the Rudy scene where everyone goes in and puts their shirts on the table and says, oh, he can play instead of me, coach. And, right. Which is wonderful yeah. and it's great and it's uplifting and it's a fantastic movie. I just, I prefer a little, you know, rugged humor in my movies. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. Uh, a big one for, for me and Marcus that we both liked and actually have to credit Marcus for introducing me to it was Undefeated. Uh, the story about Manassas High School and Coach Bill Courtney and everything he did down there, or is still doing down there, really. Right, right. I, I don't, know if I don't think I've seen that one. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a documentary, so it's based on their actual fight. There's a few players that they've picked for their final senior season, so um, yeah, it's I'm gonna definitely worth a watch. Definitely. Yeah, very much so. No worries. Is there any others aside from The Longest Yard you'd want to throw out there? Um, well, you know, Friday Night Lights is always good. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a good normal high school type football movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that those are kind of my favorite. I love sports movies in general, um, you know, like Major League and those kind of, of movies. But I, I don't know. Any given Sunday is really good too, but it's so dramatic. Gosh, there's yeah, that speech. Yeah, there. That's really good, and I love that they have a female owner, even though she's evil. I love that they have a female owner in that. Um, so yeah, those probably would be my top three: Rudy, The Longest Yard, and probably Any Given Sunday. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, um, Cameron Diaz and Any Given Sunday. I'm a massive fan of Cameron Diaz anyway myself. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't hurt. Yeah, no, she's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great film and Cameron Diaz. I couldn't really ask for more, could I? <laughs> exactly. It's the perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. How about yourself, Marcus? Is there any you want to throw in the mixer there? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I really like the the new version of uh, Longish Yard with uh, oh Sandler in it. I mean, but um, there's a couple. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, Friday Night Lights is pretty much another one that I'd definitely put on top three, I think. So the, I, I think I put those three as my top three, which we've undefeated. Longest Yard and 
and Friday nights. Ah, no worries. Okay, well let's um, let's get back away from football films, then we'll finish off. Now we're nearly a third of the way through the season, mm-hmm. and it's probably still too early to call it. But let's have. <laughs> really? Who do we think is going to the big game? Well, I I will tell you that I'm not a big fan of predictions just because you never know. I mean, look what has happened to Atlanta. I, it, it's, you know, oh, awful yeah. that they their team has been decimated with injuries and now even Dallas with, you know, two of their major players out. I, it just, so many things can happen. But if it were played tomorrow is the game I like to play. If nothing else yeah, changes from today until the Super Bowl, um, I still really truly think that um that that this is Peyton Manning's year to get back to the Super Bowl I really think that the Broncos will probably end up back there um just simply looking at their schedule strength of schedule now anything can happen in the playoffs but I do think that that this is kind of if he gets back to the Super Bowl and if he wins it now I'm not saying if they lose he won't come back but I think if he wins it I think he'll probably retire so I think he's really kind of getting you know antsy and wanting to get back there so I I, I always go with the, the Broncos for the AFC um, mm-hmm. I, I do pick the, the Seahawks you know going in that, that's been my prediction all along that if nothing else changes from today um, that that this, it'll end up being a Seahawks and Broncos Super Bowl Um there's a few things that could really change, especially with Atlanta now falling off. I think that that's even a stronger possibility. Um, a lot will come down to that second San Francisco and Seattle game, having to play each other um, and how they play throughout that. Um, but looking at the schedules, because the schedules have so much to do with you know odds and chances and everything, um, I think that that's probably how it will end up. I hope that's how it ends up anyway. <laughs> that's it. And then with Seattle winning the big game and spoiling Peyton's party. You know, I, I don't know that. that. That's a really good question because I think um, – I, I don't like to predict winner of Super Bowls because I think Super Bowls are won purely on emotion. Nine times out of yeah. ten, Super Bowls are won – by an emotion. And you can't tell me that Ray Lewis's last game was not the most emotional push for them, the Ravens, to win the Super Bowl last year. I think that was it. And so I think that predicting the Super Bowl winner is next to impossible because you don't know what the emotion will be for each team on that game. Um, but I, I, I do think if Peyton Manning has to start playing serious defenses, which has yet to kind of happen, um, if it comes down to our defense versus Peyton Manning's offense, I think our defense would win out. Fantastic. Well, I'd quite like him to uh, to retire winning less Super Bowls than Eli. I think that would be quite comical. <laughs> it would be kind of interesting at family dinners, I think. That's it. Yeah, Eli wouldn't let him live that one down, I don't no. think. you get that impression. Although he doesn't have much room to talk at all this year, so maybe he's just going to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> this is Eli we're yeah, talking about. I don't think you'd ever be quiet. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> Okay, well that's brilliant. Um, well, thank you very much for um, for coming on the show today, Dana. Um, just want to finish off if you could let our listeners know how they can go about either getting in touch with uh, yourself or or listening to the show every week. Sure. Um, I have the. My football kind of world um, revolves on Twitter. So anyone can get a hold of me on Twitter, and it's just at Dana OG, and it's D-A-Y-N-A-O-G. Um, you can always go to NFLfemale.com. Um, all of our all of the writers' information is underneath each one of their articles on how you can get a hold of them. So if you're a fan of a team and you really want to, you know, talk football with someone, look up their fan writer and chat with them. The, these women know a lot about football. It, they're really, really knowledgeable. And then the links, um, our podcast is every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and it is on Blog Talk Radio, and it's just under NFL Female. Or you can go to NFLfemale.com, and there's links to all of them. 
That's fantastic. And um, again, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It's actually your in, our inaugural guest. Uh, that was a little bit of a difficult sentence to get out. <laughs> so why not? Luckily, I don't have to use that one again. Uh, <laughs> but it's been brilliant. Again, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you've uh, enjoyed your time with us. Oh, I have. And, and I love, I absolutely love, if I can just say, um, the fact that NFL fandom has Across the pond, that that we're seeing so many, you know, fans overseas, and we love that, and and that's why the NFL is sending so many games. You guys are getting three games next year, not just two, and so I think yeah. it'll be it'll be wonderful. The plan is right now for um, me and a few of the other gals from NFL females like actually come over for one of those three games next year. So that will be very fun, and um, and we love it. We love seeing the spread of you know the love of the sport that we love. However, I will say I'm a huge soccer fan, too. I'm a huge MLS fan, so it goes both ways. So <laughs> we're just happy to have it. Oh, fantastic. Well, when you do come over, if you do make it over for one of the games next year, then obviously be sure to uh, to let us know because it would be good to, uh, to meet up and we'll uh, buy you a few beers. Oh, I would love that. It would be fantastic. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Dana. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, guys. Well, that wraps it up from myself and Marcus this week. I'd like to say a big thank you to Dana O'Gorman from NFLfemale.com for coming on the show. Uh, she was a fantastic guest, as I'm sure you all uh, will agree having listened to the interview. Be sure to check us out next week as I come to you from Chicago. That's right, folks. I'm off to the US of A to record the next show. And uh, also the next blog will be from there as well. Be sure to get in touch with us if you want to let us know your top five football films or if you want to contact us to be on the show or have any comments about the show or the blog itself, contact us by emailing bullhawksnest at gmail.com, tweet me at bullhawksnest or through any of the social media icons on the top of the webpage. So until next week when I come to you from the Windy City, take care football fans and stay safe. (laughs) 